From Schwartz Media, I'm Scott Mitchell, filling in for Ange McCormack. This is 7am. On the border between Lebanon and Israel, there's an active conflict. Hezbollah, the most powerful non-state military force in the world, and Israel are firing on each other. For now, the combat is contained, but a war would be devastating. Today, world editor of the Saturday paper, Jonathan Perlman, on what happens if Israel and Hezbollah go to war. It's Thursday, November 16. Jonathan, right now there is fighting on the border between Israel and Lebanon. What do we know about what's been happening? Yes, so one of the first actions that Israel took after Hamas fighters broke across into Israel on October 7, sparking the the war that's gone on for, for more than a month now. One of the first actions that Israel took was to bomb two airports in Syria. According to Syrian officials, Israel carried out strikes today on Syria, hitting both the airport in Damascus and also the airport in Aleppo. Now, those airports were at least temporarily forced to close. Which probably went little noticed at the time, but Israel since bombed those airports again. And the reason they did that was not because they were worried about Syria entering the conflict, but because those airports were reportedly being used to send arms to Hezbollah, the Lebanese militant group. And what we've seen in the last few weeks, really since October 8, was fighting between Israel and Hezbollah gradually escalating. As Israel fights Hamas in Gaza in the south of Israel, the IDF also traded rocket fire with Hezbollah, a militant group based in Lebanon. It started with uh, Hezbollah attacking a small patch of land, which is sort of disputed territory between Israel and Lebanon. And it's gradually just escalated into a series of tit-for-tat moves, but the pace and intensity has continued to increase. We're hearing that six people were hit when uh, an anti-tank missile was fired across the border from uh, Lebanon into the northern part of Israel. We understand that they were electrical workers who were repairing lines. Hezbollah has attacked Israeli military infrastructure. Now, in response, Israel has launched airstrikes on southern Lebanon, and they too have been going deeper and deeper into Lebanon. So far, Hezbollah says more than 70 fighters have been killed. Others have also been killed in these airstrikes. Notably, there was a Reuters journalist who was hit in a missile strike from Israel on southern Lebanon. Six other journalists were injured. And these exchanges that we're seeing are really the deadliest and most intense since there was a cross-border war between Israel and Hezbollah in 2006. Military commentators are saying that in normal circumstances, and these aren't really normal circumstances, this sort of fighting would have escalated into a full-scale war between Israel and Hezbollah. Right, Jonathan, but it it hasn't erupted into that full-scale war just yet. Why is that? Well, we had our most detailed insight into what Hezbollah is thinking from its leader, Hassan Nasrallah, who has spoken twice since October 7. 
Uh, he spoke most recently last weekend. When he speaks, he speaks from a secure location uh, and there are screens erected for supporters at, at public events where he appears. Now, in his comments uh, from those two speeches, uh, he has warned that Hezbollah uh, is keeping all options open, um, which presumably means that it is open to the possibility of an all-out war with Israel. The demeanors of the enemy against Lebanon will be a factor in play. I am speaking openly, candidly, and at the same time with ambiguity, constructive ambiguity. All scenarios are open. Uh, He has said that he expects this conflict to take years. Now, all of this and these comments have been read as a sign that Hezbollah does not actually intend to launch a full-scale war yet. But to understand what he was saying and what his position is, it's important to understand that Hezbollah, its very existence involves opposition to Israel. It began as a Shia group in the early 1980s when Israel occupied parts of southern Lebanon. Israel had invaded Lebanon in 1982 to oust Palestinian militant groups from Beirut. But that occupation led to Hezbollah taking on the fight against Israel. It used suicide bombings and guerrilla tactics. And eventually Israel withdrew from southern Lebanon in 2000. But Israel still looms large in Hezbollah's ideology. Even today, when a Hezbollah fighter is killed in fighting, uh, the group says that the fighter died on the road to Jerusalem. There must be a big event to shake this oppressive, occupier, occupying, usurping Zionist regime with their backers in Washington and London. And to re- So from Israel's perspective, in terms of the war against Hamas, it's confident that it can defeat Hamas militarily even though it's admitted that it could be looking at a war that could take months or even a year. Hezbollah is a different story. Hezbollah is much more powerful than Hamas. It's believed to have 150,000 rockets. It has uh, precision missiles that can hit specific targets in Israel. And I think if that were to happen, Israel's response to Hezbollah would be enormous. The Israeli Defence Minister Yoav Gallant said that Hezbollah is making mistakes and those who will pay the price are first and foremost Lebanon citizens. What we are doing in Gaza, we can do in Beirut. So if Israel and Hezbollah go to war, this would be the first time since 2006 that there's been a full-blown conflict between them. And this time it would be uh, more deadly, more dangerous and involve more players. Right, so as you mentioned, the last time that Hezbollah went to war with Israel was in 2006. Can you tell me about what happened back then and and just how different a war would be today? Yes, so that war was sparked in 2006 by a Hezbollah cross-border attack into Israel 
in which two Israeli soldiers were captured. Israel responded with a huge military response, and it eventually escalated into a full-scale war that lasted 34 days. Israel believed going into that war that it would succeed. It had at the time an inexperienced uh, prime minister and defence minister who seemed very confident that they could easily defeat Hezbollah, push them back and restore calm across northern Israel. But it turned out that Hezbollah was much better prepared than the Israeli military appeared to expect. In the end, it was a large-scale war. Uh, It resulted in the death of more than 1,100 Lebanese people, 165 Israelis. Uh, According to the Red Cross, Israel destroyed or damaged about 30,000 homes, bridges, medical facilities in Lebanon, and uh, it had a huge effect on on Lebanon and, and its society and its economy. In Israel, I think there was disbelief at the extent of Hezbollah's rockets. The north of Israel, including Haifa, which is one of its big cities, was basically a ghost town. Uh, everybody had been evacuated. At the time, in in 2006, it was estimated that Hezbollah had 3,000 to 5,000 fighters. But since then, Hezbollah's capabilities have been greatly improved. That's in large part due to Hezbollah's involvement in a war in Syria. Until recently, Hezbollah fighters were being martyred doing battle with Israel. That is why their movement was founded. These days, though, they are fighting and dying in Syria, waging somebody else's war. So during the war in Syria, Hezbollah came to the aid of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Hezbollah was getting big support from Iran to do this. And so as a result of that war, Hezbollah has come out stronger. Today, if Hezbollah and the Israeli military were to engage in a war, uh, it could be far more destructive than what we saw in 2006. It could cause enormous devastation in Lebanon, and Lebanon is already a country that is really teetering on the edge of social, economic and political collapse. Coming up, why the people of Lebanon have such little say in whether the war expands. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. Yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jonathan, we've been talking about whether Hezbollah might be dragged into the Israel-Hamas war and, and how devastating it could be for the people of Lebanon, a country already on the brink of collapse. What 
is the domestic situation in Lebanon like at the moment? Well, it's terrible. It has been for a long time and it only seems to get worse there. The Syrian civil war had a devastating effect on Lebanon. It led to a mass influx of refugees. Uh, and Lebanon only has a population of about 5 million people. So this was an enormous shake-up of its society and of its economy. But more recently, in 2019, the country began to enter an economic meltdown. A tragedy is unfolding in Lebanon. Inflation has driven the country's currency to historical lows. The crash highlights a grave economic crisis that has left half the population... Debt had piled up. There was financial mismanagement. The World Bank said it was one of the worst economic crises since the mid-19th century. Uh, this led to large-scale protests across the country, known as the October 17 revolution. Meanwhile, investors and donors were pulling out of the country. Banks were shutting their doors. The government defaulted on its debt and the value of its currency collapsed. I was last there just before COVID broke out. There was a real sense of crisis and despair already then. There were regular power failures. Uh, the refugees from the Syria war uh, were still there. And then you had COVID, um, which took another toll. And then in August 2020, there was that massive blast at the Beirut port. The huge blast at the port sent shockwaves right across the city, destroying many nearby buildings and blowing out windows several miles away. An investigation is now underway. You know, to this added exactly to the economic and political crisis in the country. Uh, it also symbolised, I think, especially given that corruption and mismanagement was involved in that explosion. Uh, it sort of symbolised really um, the, the dire state of Lebanon and uh, the mismanagement that had led it there. And so since last year, the Lebanese political system has been in gridlock. There's been a failure to agree on a new president and a new government. There's despair really uh, amongst the population. There's anger at the political class, including at Hezbollah. So, you know, now, after decades of trying to recover from multiple wars in the past, uh, there are now fears of a new war between Israel and Hezbollah, and, you know, that could be a war that would be impossible for the country to recover from. Right, but it does seem like the decision as to whether Lebanon does become a part of the war, it's not going to be up to the Lebanese government or, or the Lebanese people. It, it's in the hands of, of Hezbollah and, and Israel. So why is the country in that situation? Yes, well, that's been Lebanon's fate for decades now, really, that it's been subject to uh, forces from outside. And yes, Hezbollah is now the country's strongest political and military force. It's been described as a state within a state. Inside Lebanon, um, Hezbollah has strong support from Iran. It builds civil infrastructure. It's also a major political party. It has seats in the government and it has its own domestic agenda within Lebanon. And so Hezbollah has evolved into an important political player in Lebanon representing Lebanon's uh, often overlooked Shia population. So Hezbollah is wary of Lebanese public opinion, which has already turned against it 
significantly since 2006. And Hezbollah is keen to maintain its special status where it gets to uh, hold weapons, where it has uh, infrastructure that is off limits to civil society, uh, and it sort of has this state within a state status. And it risks that if it embarks on a war which causes further public anger or weakens itself militarily, it could find its status within Lebanon under threat. But what we know is that Hezbollah are also subject to outside influences, particularly the influence of Iran. So I think it's really difficult to predict whether there will be a war between Israel and Hezbollah. But even if neither side wants that war to happen, it can still happen as a result of exactly what we're seeing now. These escalating tit-for-tat exchanges can easily run beyond the control of either side, even if that's not really what Israel or Hezbollah want. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Scott. Also in the news today, independent MPs have condemned Peter Dutton's question time tactics of attempting to suspend standing orders to accuse the government of equivocation in its response to the Israel-Hamas war. Among them, Zoe Daniel said that Dutton was trying to promote social division. And Australia's wage price index rose 1.3% in the last quarter, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. The quarterly increase in wages was the most since the measurement began in 1997. I'm Scott Mitchell. This is 7am. I'll see you tomorrow. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com.